And it's not going to be a long sermon because my iPad's almost dead. And uh, <laughs> forgot to plug it in last night. That was, yeah, that was God. God in his mercy to you guys. <laughs> Would you stand with me and let's read two fairly brief passages of scripture. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Anybody here not need mercy? Okay, maybe you didn't understand the question. Not need mercy. Yeah. <laughs> because if you don't need mercy, then just leave. Because <laughs> you're not going to like anything I have to say. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others... You will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Father, I thank you for your, for your presence. I thank you for the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, and I pray that you would quicken our hearts, that you would make us alive to what you want to say today and what you want to do in us, not just today, but every day. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, you were doing okay when you were talking about mercy, but now you're talking about judging. But you have to understand that mercy implies judging. With, if you don't have a situation where judgment is due or where judgment is involved, then mercy is a non-issue. So we have to talk about judging we have to talk about judgment to get on the way uh, to actually talking about mercy. Now, we are instructed not to judge. We all know that, right? Yes. I, don't, I didn't put that scripture verse in, but I think we read it, actually. <laughs> We're instructed not to judge, yet we all do. We all do. And, and you know, and the reason why we do is, yeah, is because we don't, we're not actually judging. We're just discerning. And we need discernment, but there is a line between discernment and judging, and oftentimes we're not a very good judge of when we have stepped over that line, when we get to it. And we'll quote, we'll quote uh, things to, to back up while we're doing this. You know, uh, we'll quote, uh, whoever is not for you is against you. And since I am with the Lord, if you're not for me, you're standing against God, and he's appointed me to take care of you. There's a couple of problems with that. One of the problems is that, you know, sometimes uh, it might be them who are standing with God instead of me, and sometimes I just can't see it. Other problem is Jesus never said that. Jesus did not say, if they're not for you, they're against you. Jesus said just the opposite. He said, whoever is not against you is for you. He says, the way you're supposed to approach a situation is not to assume that, you know, unless you're here, then you must be against. You know, and he's talking about most of the people in the world because most people in the world don't even know you and don't even know what you're for and what you're against. Yeah. So the outlook that you're supposed to take to it is if they're not overtly against you, they're for you. You're, hey, friend, I come in peace. Let's talk about Jesus. 
It's dangerous to judge because it is in direct obedience, disobedience to Christ's teachings. And we know that. We just don't like to think about it much. And it's also dangerous because we are notoriously bad judges. We get it wrong a lot more often than we get it right. Jesus, you, you, you know the story that Jesus told about the guy who, who looked at his neighbor and said, man, you got a speck in your eye. There's a speck in this guy's eye. Look at him here. Does everybody see he's got a speck? Yeah. And Jesus said, well, the guy who's saying that, though, had this log in his eye. Now, I tried to, get, I tried to look for an illustration to illustrate that, and there are plenty of them, but they're, they're just all too bad to put up because they're either real goofy looking and get this plank sticking out of a guy's eye, or they look like something out of a zombie movie uh, that, 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 that they're kind of showing. But you, get, you know, what, you know what, was, what Jesus is saying, and of course I know he was saying it to people who lived back then, not enlightened people who live today. But what Jesus was saying is that when you look in, the thing that you look at somebody, oh, this is so good, listen to it. The thing that you look at somebody else and you see wrong in their life is probably the thing that's big time wrong in your life. Takes one to know one. I, I, that's not in the Bible, but I, I just made that up, and it's become a real popular saying of mine that a lot of people use. <laughs> My dad was a wonderful man, and the older I get, the more wonderful he gets. Uh, took me a while to, to figure that out, but... I appreciate him a lot. And uh, we were, when I was growing up, we were Pentecostals, which meant that we spoke in tongues and believed in miracles. And in that regard, I am still a Pentecostal. Uh, but that wasn't really our defining mark, although we thought it was. Our defining mark was we were holiness people. And uh, we believed in the 13 commandments. That was the 10 that, that Moses got. And then... The other was uh, no smoking, no drinking, no gambling. That was, we, we, certainly, we certainly believed in that. And we knew that uh, a lot of people who thought they were Christians weren't because they didn't keep the 13 commandments. My mom, I mean, when it came to, when it came to gambling, <laughs> you know, uh, it, it, you don't, dice, dice was okay. Somehow it was sanctified if it was in a Monopoly game. But outside of Monopoly, it, it, it was sinful. And, and face cards. My mom was a, was a very smart woman. She was a brilliant woman. But when she, it was like when, when, a, when a face card would come in contact with her hand, when those playing cards would come in contact with her hands, it just messed with her circuitry. And she couldn't figure out, you know, does five beat eight, you know, kind of thing. It just wouldn't. Now, if it was, if it had, uh, if it was Rook, she knew it. I mean, she could, she could figure that out because you will play Rook in heaven, but uh, you're not going to play Texas Hold'em. It's that simple. <laughs> yeah. And it didn't stop there. Um, when I was growing up, before I was uh, a teenager, I don't know if I ever saw a woman come into our church with lipstick on. And if she did, it was an event. 
And then there were earrings, pierced earrings. I mean, you know, the, the little clip-on things, that was sin. But pierced earrings, and we're talking about a woman here. If a, if a woman with pierced ears had walked into our church, we'd have been casting something out. <laughs> Praying something down, doing, doing something. And if a man with, we'd have just shot him. Uh, you know, that's, that's it. There's no, there's no hope. No hope whatsoever. Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what started us down the slippery slope. Women in pants. You can call them slacks, but we know they're pants. That's men's clothing right there. I'll just tell you. Let's go over to Deuteronomy right there. And it's kind of funny, but yeah, I mean, you know, it was real. It was real. These were issues that we had. And, of course, rock and roll just blew the whole thing apart. And the reason why it blew the whole thing apart was because rock and roll led to dancing, sock hops, which led to slacks and makeup and, and smoking, drinking, and gambling. I mean, it, it, that was, that was the, the root of all of those things. I had, a, I had an unusual childhood. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 seriously, I was right. We weren't as bad as some. I mean, men could wear short sleeves at our church. Uh, the women did cut their hair. Uh, we were progressive. Uh, I, uh, I, 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 could, I could go bowling. Couldn't, couldn't shoot poo, but I could go bowling. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, my dad uh, was a wonderful guy. And he kept all these rules. And, and that's great. That, that is. That's really good. Uh, my dad, however, was raised a racist. And he never really overcame it. That wasn't his fault. And, you know, I, when, I, when I put this slide up in the first service, I mean, the service had kind of been sort of enjoying itself, and, it, and the room just went whoosh. And well, it should. I mean, this is a, that, that's a shameful time from our history. It really is. Uh, and most of, the, most of you who are probably under 30, even 40, it gets older, it, that, and the number goes up every decade, uh, probably never saw any of those signs. I, I saw a few of them. My dad was raised with them. I mean, that's, that's just... And, you know, you, you, you don't choose the culture that you're born in. It's, you, it's what it is. And, you know, he was a sweet man. He was a violent man. I never saw my dad get violent with anybody. But, uh, you know, this was how he was raised, and this was the, what he believed and what he thought. Probably the, the sweetest uh, conversation I ever had with my dad was... Uh, and I don't remember if I've ever shared this before in, in church here. Maybe I did once, but anyway. Uh, you know, my dad, I guess, was 90. My mom had been, had been dead for a couple of years. 
and uh, went over to see him one day, and uh, it was one of those days that he was in the mood to talk, and he got to talking, and, and uh, my dad didn't have a dad. He, his dad died when he was four, and so he was really essentially raised without a father, and uh, and, and in our house, you know, we, there was just no, there was no hugging or kissing or I love you or any of that kind of stuff. That just wasn't, that just wasn't what he knew. Uh, and I was over, to, I was over visiting with him and, uh, and he said, you know, I look at, I look at you and Isaac and Arwen and Valerie and the way y'all kind of hug each other and, and tell each other you love each other and he began to tear up and he said you know i i just think i could have had that and uh wow dad that's the most real thing you've ever wow and i realized you know i would have been raised like this and, and almost well i mean i'm i'm thankful for the uh, uh for the school desegregation that's what that's what happened that's how i got changing and i know my dad uh, there's so many people he could have known. There's so, there's so, and he would have enjoyed them. There's so many people he, he could have known. Uh, you know, and it wasn't just, it wasn't just a black-white thing. It, it was, if, you weren't, if you weren't from... It was, it was a Yankee rebel thing. I mean, you know, it didn't matter. You, yeah, if you weren't from around here... Yeah. But there were so many he could have known if he had just been free from that. Well, that... That's not really where I'm going with this. Where I'm going with this is, which do you think is the more egregious sin in God's sight? Smoke a cigarette or to look at a brother and sister and go, uh, you're less than I am. Seriously. Jesus really never condemned anybody for what they put in their body. Now, you've got to be careful. I mean, we need to honor God with our bodies. I'm not saying that's not important. It is important, and he wasn't saying it was not important. But he didn't condemn people for that. What he, what he got on to people for was when they looked at somebody and went, wow, if he knew what kind of woman that was, he wouldn't, let, he wouldn't let her touch him. If he knew what kind of people they were, he wouldn't be hanging out with them, wouldn't be spending time with them. He knew what kind of woman she was. He knew what kind of people they were. And so we all have these blind spots. We, we, have these, we have these places in our life. Judging is a setup for us. The enemy loves it when he can get us to, to start judging people because it messes with so many areas in our lives. It, it short-circuits so many things that God wants to do in our lives. It messes with repentance because if we're in a position where we're going, well, at least I'm not like Alan Smith. Uh, you know, the only reason I could say that is because I know Alan, and he's perfect. <laughs> hey, come on, holy applause, please. <laughs> yeah. Jesus told a parable about a man. You know the parable of the, of the, of the, the Pharisee and the, and the sinner and the publican? And the Pharisee came and he prayed, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men. That one smokes. That one, that one drinks. She's wearing pants. You know. <laughs> I thank you that I'm not like them. And I'm certainly thankful that I'm not like this guy over here. And 
This guy over here couldn't even lift his head. All he could say is, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Do you know, how that, you know why Jesus told that parable? It says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Aren't you glad those people aren't around anymore? Actually, they are. I mean, some of them are in this room. They may be sitting in, in your seat. They may be... I'm standing. <laughs> they, may be, they may have been sitting in my seat earlier. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. It messes with our repentance. It messes with our submission. You guys are going to enjoy so much the sermon on walking in submission to authority next week. It, it's it's good. It's powerful stuff. But you know what? I'm, I'm just going to give you, I'm going I'm to let you in a little secret. You can find something wrong with me. You can find something wrong with me. And you can find something wrong with your boss. And you can find something wrong with your president. And you can find something wrong with your governor. And you can find something wrong with your mayor. And you can find something wrong with anybody who's over. And when, when you do, then that's an excuse to not walk in submission. We, we use it as that. It messes with our repentance. It messes with our submission. It messes with our humility. It's hard to be humble when you're better than everybody else. And you, but humility, I mean, if you remember, I spent two weeks on it. It's just, I might teach on it again. It's, 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 it's important. It's a, powerful, it's a powerful thing in our lives. And, and when, we, when we walk in judgment, it cuts us off from the grace of God. Mercy brings grace. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And it's something that I need an unending supply of. Uh, it's something that I need on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, on a minutely basis, if there, is, if there is such a word as that. God is merciful to all, yet his mercy is somewhat limited by our willingness to be merciful. You know, if you've if you got, you got a child and you've and, and you got a box of candy, and you're wanting to give that child that box of candy because you want to ruin their teeth, uh, no. It's, it's sugar-free, and you're, and you're wanting to give it to them so that as a reward, just because you love them, just because you want to see them smile and run around the house and scream. Yeah, so you're wanting to give them that box of candy, and yet that same child has a, has, has a, has a little candy bar or something, and a friend or a neighbor or somebody walks up and goes, oh, can I have a bite? And they go, no. Then you've got a problem giving them that box of candy. Because you'll ruin them. But if the friend or the neighbor or somebody comes and says, can I have a bite? Oh, yeah, sure. Here, take more. Then you, then you want to give them two boxes of candy. And that's the way God is with us. That, that's, that's, the way, that's the way mercy flows. That's the way that it works in our lives. Mercy brings grace. And let me give you an example. And those of you who've heard me share about this before already know who the example is going to be. Because it's, it's David. On the negative side, he committed adultery. That's bad. On the negative side, he committed murder. That's, 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 that's bad. 
and, and also lying. I mean, he lied to cover it up. You know, that's bad. That's, that's pretty bad stuff. That'll ruin your reputation right there with God and with, with others. And yet, in the case of David, none of that seems to stick. I mean, it's, it's there. We know about it. But he's David for crying out loud. I mean, yeah, okay, yeah, there's Bathsheba and Uriah and, and, and up, but he's David. He's, he's King David. Why do we think that way? Why, why do we feel that way about him? I believe it's because David was one of the greatest examples of mercy in all of Scripture. I mean, we know about the situation with Saul. Saul tried to kill him. And twice Saul was delivered into David's hands, and both times David went, uh-uh, nope, I'm not, I'm not going to bring judgment on this, on, on him. If God wants to, that's up to God, but I'm not going to be the one. Yeah. And, and the second time that he was put in his hands, it wasn't even that David had to kill him. I mean, Abishai was going, let me do it, let me kill him. And David was going, uh-uh, no, not only will I not be the one, I'm not going to let you mess yourself up that way either. There's a lesson there. But he's not the only, that, that's not the only place where David showed mercy. David's uh, son, Absalom, rebelled against him. And uh, David had to flee from Jerusalem. So he and his army uh, were fleeing the city as Absalom and his army were entering the city. And as David was leaving, there was this, there was this guy named uh, Shimei. And Shimei... Uh, had been a, was had been he was a Benjamite he was from the same tribe that Saul was from now David clearly did not usurp Saul David clearly did everything that he could to honor Saul and uh, and not try to to take the kingdom from him uh, God was the one who put that together but Shimei being from the the same tribe Saul was from you know, had his conspiracy theories and all this stuff going, and he knew that David had usurped against Saul. So when David is leaving the city with his army, Shimei comes out and he starts cursing him. You're getting what you deserve now for being the, the, the usurper that you are. And he was throwing dirt at him, throwing rocks at him. Shimei was a, an unintelligent man because David had an army around him, and Shimei was by himself with, with rocks and dirt. And so David's, uh, one of his generals, Abishai, went, let me go cut his head off. Uh, I, I, we need to put an end to this. This is, just, this is just stupid. Let me go cut his head off. And David went, oh, no way. No way. He said, my, my own son is rebelling against me. This Benjamite thinks he has cause. Let him, let him talk. Let, oh, I love what he said. Let the Lord see this. If, if, it's, if it's being justly given to me, then let it be justly given to me. But if it's unjust, let the Lord see it, because he'll repay me. He'll take care of it. Well, you know the story. David and, uh, David's army and Absalom's army fought, and they, uh, David's army won. And so when David was brought back as king, guess who one of the first people to come and see him was? Shimei, who's going, uh, <laughs> you know, I... I kind of did, did a stupid thing, and oh, please don't think about it. Uh, uh, forgive me. Uh, have mercy on me. And, and Abishai goes, let's cut his head off. <laughs> and David goes, no. No. This, this, is, this is a day that the Lord has been merciful to me, 
He's established me as king over Israel. I'm not going to cut somebody's head off today. And so he didn't take vengeance on him. He had mercy on him. That's not the only situation in David's life either. There was a guy named Nabal. And Nabal, is anybody here named Nabal? I'm seriously asking. Okay, good. <laughs> it comes in later in the story. Anyway, Nabal uh, had uh, sheep and cattle and stuff, and, uh, and David's men for quite a season, and I know that's kind of a silly-looking picture, but Nabal was a silly-looking guy. In fact, the name means fool is what it means. And um, David's men had sort of uh, protected Nabal's guys throughout the entire season, and they had not messed with them, and they had seen to it that nobody else had messed with them, and none of Nabal's stuff was missing. So when, when it came time to shear the sheep and have the harvest and everything, Nabal threw a party, and David sent a couple of his guys, you know, to kind of get a, maybe a party invitation out of them. But, but when they got there, Nabal, instead of going, yeah, we'd love to have you guys, and we'd, we'd love to, you know, give you something here to party with, he, uh, he, he, cursed them and, and uh, uh, rebuked them and said, who is this David guy? There are a lot of people who are fleeing from their master. and you know, you're, just, you're just beggars. You're just wanting something. Get out of here. So they came, to, they, they came back to David and they told him that. And this is what David said, this, this man of mercy. It has been useless all my watching over this fellow's property in the desert so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. Put on your swords, guys. Let's go have fun. So, well, I thought you said he was a man of mercy. Everybody has a bad day. <laughs> David was having one of those days. But on the way there, Nabal's wife, Abigail, had, had heard about what had happened. And so she got, some, she got some stuff together, some food, some appetizers and hors d'oeuvres and stuff. And, and, uh, and she set out and she met him on the way. And when she met him, she, uh, she, got, she got off her donkey and fell to her knees and said, Oh, please, please, have mercy here. Don't pay any attention to what he says. His name is, he's just like his name. And a wife knows. <laughs> He's just like his name. Don't, don't pay any attention. Because you don't want the blood of innocent people on your hands when the Lord brings you into your kingdom. And this is what David said to that. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day, and from avenging myself with my own hands. This was a critical juncture in David's life. He was at a crossroads that day. This actually happened before the second time that Saul was delivered into his hands. It happened, uh, obviously, before the situation with, with, with Shimei, uh, had David taken vengeance that day, I'm not sure that the course of his life would have ended up being where it ended up going. We come to those places and they catch us unawares and we don't know that we're, we don't actually know that we're there until we're there. 
And here's the thing. Sometimes we need somebody to help us out when it comes to showing mercy. You know, it's one thing to be able to go, all right, I'm, I'm big, I'm going to show mercy in this situation. It's another thing to just be, uh, you know, screwed down and ready to go and have somebody come along and go, no, don't do that. And go, you want me to listen to you? Yes. Yes. And so David, the adulterer, the murderer, the liar, is one of the greatest men who ever lived. He was a man who extended mercy, extended mercy, extended mercy to others. And guess what? Mercy got extended to him as well. God covered him in such a, in such a wonderful and powerful way. <laughs> Here's the thing. I, I, I like C.S. Lewis's observation about miracles. He says, most people want to see a miracle, but they just don't want to be in a position where they need one. It's fine to talk about mercy and extending mercy. And we can all sit here and go, yeah, mercy, that's a good thing. I, yeah, I, I, I need to do that. That's a good thing. But you have to understand, in order for mercy to even be relevant, you've got to be in a situation where you've been wronged. You've got to be in a situation where judgment is pertinent and proper. You know, unless you're in a situation like that, then mercy's not an issue. That's when it becomes one. Anybody can be merciful when there's nothing to be merciful about. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking about the need to forgive and the freedom that it brings. What great freedom that we walk in with it. And that we forgive others the same way God forgave us in Christ. If you're, you know, if you're still struggling with forgiveness, try, try mercy. Mix some mercy into the situation. Why should I do that? Well, so you can be free. I don't want to be free. Do you need mercy? I mean, could you use some mercy? Well, then do it for mercy's sake. I want more of you, God. Do it for that sake. Two verses I'll leave you with. How important is mercy? Twice Jesus used these words. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. In two different situations he used them. One, his disciples were being condemned by some people because they were eating the wrong stuff on the Sabbath day. And they were being rebuked because you're not supposed to do that today. And Jesus said, you know, I, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And then, and then the, other time that, uh, the other time that he used it was when he was being uh, ridiculed or rebuked for the people he was hanging out with. And he said, I, I, if you understood this, you would know that I've called, I'm calling sinners, not, not the righteous, to repentance. That I'm, I, I, I hang out with the, with the meek and the lowly. And, and the meek, uh, so I come and hang out with. And, and if you understood this, what he said about his disciples is you would not have condemned the innocent because so often in our judgment, it's not a matter of 
well, we should show mercy because we're, we're merciful, wonderful people. Sometimes it's a matter of we should show mercy because we don't know what we're talking about. And we're condemning the innocent. But what, what does that mean? I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Well, what it means is I'd rather the life of God flow through you than you just be religious. It's, it's a lot easier to sacrifice. It's a lot easier to, to, to make the sacrifice to get up on Sunday morning and come to church and, and pay your tithes and all those things. And those things are good. We, we should do them. When, when, when God instituted the Sabbath, he said, make it a day of sacred assembly. So that at least one day a week, you come together in sacred assembly and worship him and, 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 and the tithe and all these other things. It's good to do those things. But that's the practice of religion. Mercy is the practice of the life of God. It's, it's his life flowing through us to the world. A verse that I didn't end up putting in the bulletin, and so I didn't end up putting it here, but I hope all of you know it is Micah 6.8. And if you don't, look up Micah 6.8. It says, He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what he wants. That's what he's looking for. Be just. Be merciful. Walk humbly with him. And I'll tell you what, to the degree that we don't walk in mercy, we don't walk in humility with him. Those things are correlated. They're, they're tied together. James chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. We'll close with this. See, for getting up early than normal for sitting your clock ahead you get a shorter sermon than that and that is God's mercy working through <laughs> speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful mercy triumphs over judgment mercy triumphs over judgment wow what four words it's hard to find a more powerful four-word sentence than that. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Anybody concerned about standing before the God of the universe and, and having your life spread out for all to see? I know I am, or used to be. I mean, I know it's the blood of Jesus Christ and the grace of God and the mercy that flows into my life that makes it possible for for, for me to stand there and, you know, I don't want to shut off one drop of that. I don't want to shut off one second of it, one ounce of it. And yeah, you know, there are probably, you know, some people, some people are wired to a default no. And that, you know, God wired them that way. That's his business. He can deal with it. You know, he, he knows I, I'm wired to a default yes and probably sometimes to a fault. That made sense, yeah. You know, there are probably some times when I say yes that I, that I shouldn't say yes, but I just, I don't want to miss the mercy of God. I really don't. I want him to say yes to me. I, I want him, I want, I want his grace in my life, so I, I, I want to be a conduit for it. 
Now, sometime in this coming week, and I, in my doddering old ageness, I started to take off my glasses, which were not there. But <laughs> sometimes in this coming week, you're going to run into a situation, you're going to run into a crossroad at some point in this week where you're going to, you're going to be... You're going to get ready to react the way that you normally react. And the Holy Spirit's going to set something off inside of you and go, mercy. And at that point, you have a choice. At that point, you have a choice. One way leads to freedom. David may have been the Teflon king. I want to be the Teflon Christian When I stand before God, I want him to look at that and go, well, my goodness, there's, there's nothing there. Really? All right. Yes. Yes. Would you stand with me? But those who are going to pray with people, come forward. And if you need prayer for something today, um, God's grace is available here, whatever it may be. And if you're walking in, uh, in a bondage of unforgiveness, God's grace is available here. Uh, if, you're, if you're walking in fear, because when we don't extend mercy, I think... There is a tendency to, to walk in fear. There's a tendency to be going, well, I can't do that, and they shouldn't be able to do that either. You know, and every, every little thing that we do just lays on another layer of guilt and lays on another layer of fear of judgment. If, if you're walking in that, mercy, is, mercy triumphs over judgment. Any of those things that might be going on in your life, Come and be prayed for. And, you know, that may not be why you come down. You may have a physical need. You may need some guidance. You may need some direction. You may need to meet Christ. But you come. You come. We'll worship for a few moments. We'll wait for you. We'll wait for you. And give myself away.
us in this room can be richer in mercy than the one who makes the most amount of money in this room. This doesn't cost anything. All it costs is to give your heart to him and allow him to, to live through you. Raise your hand. Let me give you a blessing. May the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who sent his Son into the world, so that he might be rich in mercy towards us. May he flow through you and may you be rich in mercy towards others and may you know the boundless freedom and joy of those who walk in that mercy of God through Jesus Christ our Lord.